Ja. 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 What's that KFC bag doing over there? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> God, don't shame me. Don't look at it. <laughs> don't look at it. Ah, well, that that looks like a bag that's for two. <laughs> did you get did you get a no. bonus banquet? <laughs> you did, didn't you? You got a bonus banquet, didn't you? I had a rice box with an extra lice. Lies, you fucking liar. That's that's a fucking boneless banquet bag, and you fucking know it. Don't lie to me. I got went to KFC and got rice. You fucking liar. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Movie Chef podcast, where we make a meal out of movers. Uh, I'm your host Tebs. Hello, this is my yeah. co-host Calm. Say hello. Hiya. Hello. <laughs> hello. I am. Sorry, we were just talking about brothels. <laughs> just talking about brothels and KFC and stuff, and and now I'm shamed. It may go in before. You might have already heard it before the this that. I don't know. We'll see how it sounds. Um, yeah, welcome to the Movie Chef podcast. Um, we talk about movies, and we don't really talk about food unless it's KFC or anything else deep fried. Um, so if you're here for a culinary experience, <laughs> like some people, <laughs> <laughs> you're about to be really disappointed. Um, how's your week been? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, I got through a couple of TV shows. Oh, tell me more. Tell me more. It's not a musical episode. Go on. Not really. No. So I fi- obviously I finished uh, The Boys last week. Which I love. TV, TV show, yeah. TV show, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I finished. Yeah. Off, I finished off a lot of boys <laughs> up and down the street. Um, Don't get so them sad, off... but I always finish them off. <laughs> <laughs> so I finished off the boys. Uh, I started watching Umbrella Academy. And any good? Yeah. Well, I'm in season. This is season three, I believe. Of, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. of Umbrella Academy. And once you watch the boys, everything else, like team wise, isn't really as good. Is it that good, the boys? It's it's a lot of fun. It's a okay. lot of fun. Uh, the guy who plays um, Homelander in it is just uh, potentially one of the top three baddies in any form ever. I remember him from season one. I thought he were incredible then. Just just incredible. I've, I've still got two and three to watch. I'm, uh, I'm... Here, definitely. Definitely, it's it's an yeah. absolute joy. Um, I've still been on with Vikings. I'm up to okay. season. F- I'm on with season five. It's so good. Has Ragnar so died good. yet? Whoa, whoa, whoa! I mean, I know it's. Can you have a spoiler alert for something that happened in history? We all know Ragnar Lothbrok died anyway. So imagine a film coming out of Henry the Eighth, and you're going, "Can't wait to see those six <laughs> weddings!" Whoa, whoa, oh, six. <laughs> six. I'm only up to episode five. He was a Catholic when I left him. <laughs> um, what have I been doing? I watched. Um, I'll tell you what I did watch. I never I watched, asked. Fuck you. I watched um, Old Boy, the original or original. the the better Josh Brolin one. No, it is not better. <laughs> it is. 
Oh, Horrible. The Spike, the Spike Lee joint. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> it's I don't get how you can remake a film, not shot for shot, but beat for beat. Yeah, and, and you I have th- Josh Brolin. I think we all we all know how that goes as well. When you try to make, uh, uh, you know, was it Psycho the trend with uh, Vince yeah, Gus Vaughn, Van San, <laughs> Gus Van Sant, and Anne Hesh and Vince Anne Vaughn, and, the, and that was shot for shot. But he's like, this time, Aye. it's going to be in color. <laughs> That's what was holding Hitchcock back. Genius. I don't get the almost audacity for some people remaking a film. Remake the shit films. The stuff, you, the stuff that were made. I think the we've, stuff we've, made? We've, we've had we've this conversation. This before, yeah. But do it, remake the shit stuff, but you're remaking stuff that was genuinely good in the first place. It's like, I really fancy watching one of these films. Go and watch the original. It's good. Did you ever hear the story of Alfred Hitchcock? And I believe it was one of the sound engineers on Psycho. And they were on the set and he overheard one of the sound engineers saying that the, the house wasn't spooky enough. And Hitchcock was like, what the fuck do you mean? It's not spooky enough. He's like, well, it's, it's just it doesn't. It's not as creepy as all the rest of the horror. And he was like, right, spend the night alone in the house, and we'll see how creepy it is. And the guy was like, fucking, fucking right. And I think there was a bet involved. So the stipulation was Hitchcock was like, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna handcuff you to one of the radiators so you don't leave, so you don't go, mm-hmm. so you don't walk off the set and go whatever. And he was like, yeah, no worries. So Hitchcock fucking handcuffed him to the radiator, uh, but he also filled up. Uh, a lot of his water bottles with laxatives. Jeez. Yeah. So when they came in in the morning, it was so scary. He shit himself. Yeah. Oh, uh, so they consider to everybody. He shit himself. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Fuck's sake. What a guy. What a guy. What a guy. Also, also a masochist and abused a lot of women. <laughs> but have you ever seen North by Northwest? Well, that <laughs> tremendous no, yeah, vertigo, vertigo rear window. My God. <laughs> um, speaking of genius directors that have changed cinema this week um it's an episode of two halves troy duffy um, excuse me are we we're talking about troy duffy yeah no we're not talking about troy that's next week okay. this week um we are talking the san diego comic con san diego the place where the sun always shines <laughs> and <laughs> San Diego, when absolutely probably nobody was jacking it off in San Diego. There is <laughs> awful, oh, so much sex happening in you, San Diego. Oh, you, can, you can fucking bet all them fucking ugly bastards dressed up as fucking She-Ra and fucking Hamzu Titty Bang Bang from fucking Sailor Moon or whatever the fuck it is, like all fucking but, sucking each other off in fucking cubicles. You know what's going on there. <laughs> oh, it's fucking filth. I, I imagine it's absolute filth. But you I'm imagine, here. <laughs> imagine being a fly on the wall in the local hotels where in one room, like Darth Vader's banging Wonder Woman. <laughs> and in the next yeah. one, two Hellboys and double teaming Princess Leia or something. Listen, in the boys season three, there is very close to a scene like that. <laughs> oh, is that um, Orgasm Island? Whatever it's uh, called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, don't tell me. But I've heard something about Orga, not Orgasmotron or something. What is it? Yeah. What's the name of it? <laughs> I, I, I can't remember. It's, it's something Orgasmania. <laughs> yeah. Orgy Mania or something. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, we don't want to. Let's not talk. So, San Diego Comic Con. And then we're also going to be talking our... Well, we're, we're talking Quentin Tarantino. Um, Somebody on Twitter said, can't believe you haven't talked about Tarantino yet. 105 episodes. Yeah, about fuck time. you. Fuck you. We'll talk about Quentin Tarantino when we want. <laughs> Actually, we'll do you know it. what? We're not talking about him anymore. 
I'm making the decisions in here. <laughs> this week's episode is a top five U ball films, <laughs> and it's all alone in the dark. Well, <laughs> what do you mean the podcast? Do alone in the dark, off? number one. Alone in the dark, number two. Alone in the dark, number three. Postal wasn't that bad. Don't even don't don't. Let's it not wasn't. start this. Let's not start it, this conversation. All right, go back and watch it. Let's not start this conversation. We learn in film school, you have to look at films in the context of the era they were made. He made a film beyond its time. No, it He's wasn't beyond its time. It was shite. <laughs> <laughs> so after um, the many people who tweeted us and said, let's do Tarantino. Here it is. There it is. Um, so we're going to be so we're going to be talking top our top five Tarantino films, and this is Tarantino writing, starring, <laughs> acting, yeah, got that, uh, directing, whatever it is. We're going to have the top five Tarantino, uh, but we're also going to talk San Diego Comic Con and a whistle stop for because there's so much information dumped. This is like woo central, isn't it? There's just, just imagine there's too much stuff. There's too much stuff. You know, it's like. I, I can I can imagine myself getting fucking, you know, overkill my mind just fucking going because I remember even going to like when I worked for the video game retailer in the UK and we used to go to a manager's conference every September and every September we got to see every game that was coming out that year or next year or whatever and now, the first day was really fucking boring because there's always keynote speeches from fucking Microsoft and Sony and all that jazz. And blah, blah, blah. Now, I'm sure there's so much of that that happens at San, at, at San Diego Comic-Con. Second day, though, was hands-on day. Hands-on day was playing the games, sitting down, fucking around, chatting to people about headsets, chatting to people about fucking, you know, 2K shit. You know, that was the day that you, you always seem to love. Comic or San Diego Comic-Con seems to be that day every day. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, don't get me wrong, as a film fan, it looks f- really fun. I, I, th- I think I'd enjoy being there for a day. But for me to go, I'd want to be in one of the big reveals. I want to be oh, there yeah. when they announce X-Men or whatever it is. And, you know, in terms of reveals this year, let's just quickly say, I think it's very thin compared to some mm. years. So we'll come back to that. But then I, I hear stories of people queuing up for 10 hours, 12 hours outside Hall H for the Marvel thing. Yeah. You, you're there for four days and you're going to spend one of it sat in a corridor. Yeah. No, I don't to get that. To then be in a room where you're probably further, you know, the distance you are on a football pitch from the people. So you can just make them out or you see them on a screen above you. And then you see a clip of a trailer that gets released instantly online or a piece of sneak footage that they're going to release in the trailer in two months' time. Yeah. You're literally not, I don't know, but the experience. See, where, where, where I would get my joy out of is simply not going to places like that, like your Hall HBO Marvels, but you would get so much mileage out of C-list, D-list, E-list celebrities from TV shows and movies that are hanging around Comic-Con that are dying you know, to fucking get your attention. You know, oh, geez, do you remember me? I was in that fucking two seasons of fucking Vampire Diaries. No, but it's good meeting you. <laughs> but I bet, I bet, yeah, you're absolutely right. I bet there's so many people that just hang out, even just hire a table for the, I don't mean this nastily, but the hope of being acknowledged, the hope of being recognized. I, I read, you- I read, right. This was about three years ago. So when Walking Dead was at its zenith, when it was at its peak, Norman Reedus was charging $250 for signing a picture and a photograph with him, right? And they said that there was about 
2,000 people in the queue for Norman Reedus. Yeah. I'd love to know what his cut is. Obviously, that's, that's, yeah, yeah, obviously, like, but that's, that's an insane number. That's oh, insane. Uh, if, if you were talking wrestling, that's Undertaker money. Mac, J, MJF did it recently as like a bit of a stunt saying he kept putting his price up because people wanted to pay it. But I think $250 just for a picture and a, a quick handshake and a whatever, you've got to be a massive fan. Yeah, like, and, and and the irony is, you could probably be stood in the car park, and the guy could walk past you afterwards, and you get a selfie with him or something. I never told you my story about the Undertaker, did I? No. Oh, Paul. what better time to do it than on the comic oh, edition of the podcast? Oh, so I believe it was it was ninety two or ninety three. Uh, the wrestling came to the King's Hall in Belfast, and my mum drove me, my brother, my brother's two friends, Adrian can't remember his name and Garth Rafleski was the other one right so we drove up and we went to see the Legion of Doom my mother had to sit in the Order of Malta tent because she got so cold inside the arena she couldn't warm up so all four of us were left but to our own devices to watch this wrestling this wrestling event, right Order of Malta tent is that uh, like St. John's like, Ambulance yeah I think it's St. John's Ambulance yeah. Red Cross something like that right. there whatever okay. Okay. so I, I say, it's not like some local cult. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> the Order I, of Malta. She <laughs> bought me. Each other. <laughs> she bought me the foam Legion of Doom, uh, like rig, you know, with the spikes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I got uh, the Intercontinental belt as well. Ronnie got the fucking World Championship belt because he loved Bret the Hitman Hart. He loved Bret right, Hart, okay. so he, he got the glasses and the and the belt. So anyway young fucking fat corn was walking to the toilet in the king's hall and i came out and the undertaker walked past me Jeez. all the prime 92 93 undertaker it had been, been 93 yeah been 93, walked, yeah he walked past me and i couldn't believe it was he in his gear or was he in like he his... was he was in his gear? It wasn't his hat or anything out there, like but See, he, was... he was massive up to a time, up to a few years ago, he was massive on KFAB. Well, until about 10 years ago, it wouldn't be seen out yeah. out of character, none of this. I remember a TV episode for of um I think it was the mid-90s, Vader and Undertaker were in oh, Bahrain, somewhere like that, Middle Eastern country, being interviewed and uh, he was saying, oh, it's all fake, the interviewer. And Vader just goes, you think it's fake? You think it's fake? You son of a bitch. He's grabbing by, by throat, tackling him to the floor. And Taker's just having to sit there like, I'm just the cool undertaker. I'm just sitting here, <laughs> just watching it happen. I thought you were going to say, they just, they just wheeled him around in a coffin all day. And then any time they go to the coffin, the bell went, bong. So your story about the the undertaker story you have is, you'd been for a pee, you came out and he was in a corridor. I, I was in touching distance, not even touching distance. I could have tripped him up. <laughs> I could have ended his career. So, San Diego Comic Con. Oh, fuck um, you. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Awesome. Dungeons, right. We're going to. There's an awful abundance of dragons as well. Two years Dragon. ago, some, Listen, some yeah. prick, some prick in a marketing agency spoke to a bunch of people who'd just seen Game of Thrones and went, what creatures do you think are fun in films right now? Dragons, oh. dragons. We love do you know dragons. what it is? It's the guy who made Rain of Fire and he's really, really pissed off and he just wants dragons and everything. It's like that guy who wanted the fucking giant spider and spider. Superman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he finally uh, got it in fucking Wild Wild West. He's just walking and, around really, really angry. 
we've got we've got dragons in Shazam, Game of Thrones, um, probably one in Lord of Rings, some dragon on fire thing. We've got Dungeons and Dragons. There's a all sorts of different forms of dragons coming out. And you just think somebody sent a memo thinking it was just a one director saying, yeah, I'll let you have dragons. And they accidentally CC'd in every other director yeah. on the whole book. <laughs> and it's deep impact, trying, oh. It's deep impact and Armageddon all over again. <laughs> um, so Dungeons and Dragons got a trailer, real fucking weird trailer, as in choice of music, choice of tone, Hugh Grant it's, popping up. It was like when they brought out that Star Trek movie and Beastie Boys sabotage was over the top of it. Yeah. And it was kind of like, do you remember how they explained that in the film? Yeah, the song was in the film. Yeah, it was. It was some old. Um, bike when he or... when he stole no when he stole his stepdad's yeah, car and, yeah and it had been held for oh fuck but it had been music that had been recorded and stored. I don't know. Um, we're getting a National Treasure TV series. Do you know what? I'm getting very very angry at this National Treasure Treasure TV show because yes. I saw really a cowboy. I saw, well, I saw a cowboy hat and I went cage. And then some lady turned around and I was like, you're not Cage. <laughs> you're not him. Rachel, 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 wake up. Oh, God, it's 4 a.m. Not again, Cormac. No, told, wake the kids I'm, up, Rachel. <laughs> I told you at 2 a.m. <laughs> wake the kids up. This is a travesty. Um, I'm, I'm very skipping. I'm skipping through a bunch. You know, you, if you know about this shit, you, you're going to go see it. A bunch of TV series. King of the Hill might be coming back. Mike Judge basically wants to do another series Mike, of it. Mike Judge, fucking thing. Mike Why not Judge, King of the Hill. Mike Judge just needs to bring out season three of Tales from the Turbos. If he doesn't bring out that, I will storm his house and burn it to the ground because of everything that he's done in the last few years. Yes, I love Beavis and Butthead, and yeah, but Beavis and Butthead has had his time in the sun. Oh yeah, we've seen Beavis it. and we've Butthead got... was late nineties. Yeah, it. yeah. And do you Shunk, know what? Do you know what? Work any of the time. But do you know what? It actually does hold hold weight because Ernie watched it and Ernie enjoyed it you know so a 12 year old now watch it's grand it's fine but leave it as it is let's just deal with the old one Tales from the Tour Bus if you haven't watched it watch Tales from the Tour Bus it is unbelievably brilliant there's one piece of news that kind of got glossed over was that DC and in particular creative chief, DC Comics Chief Creative Officer Jim Lee said there were no pl- further plans to expand on the Zack Snyder material <laughs> So they basically said, it's not happening. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. I mean, the, the 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 kind of, there was a story that the, the bots suggested. Who was it? Was, was it Zack Snyder suggested? Oh, no, it was Warner saying that they'd been using bots and retweet bots and stuff to get the trending going. And I kind of feel like they've got to the point where they've just gone, you've had your film, fuck off. I fuck off. Leave me alone. We, have, have you seen what we've got left to deal with now? You seen what we're trying to do? <laughs> have you, you fucking look- seen what Ezra Miller's been doing in Hawaii? He's well, got we'll his. Talk. He's got his cock out every night. They they have their cock out every. They night. have their cock out every night. Sorry, all, all vagina. I don't know. All vagina. Sorry. <laughs> um, Lord of the Rings: Ring of Power got um, a sequel, and yeah. we look at uh, Baby Gladriel, Baby Elrond, Baby Balrog. Paul, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. I'm liking the look of it. Yeah, off you go. Um, and we, so basically, he's young Sauron. Yeah, he's, he's he's basically. Isn't he beautiful? Oh, he's gorgeous. He's beautiful. I'd I'd accept his ring. Well, he could turn me. Those fucking, fucking those eyes. 
That's not very difficult, Colm. One Diet Coke that. advert could turn you right now. Well, you're right, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we got the trailer for Lord of the Rings. Ring of Power is coming in September. A lot of talk online about being pissed off about it messing with Tolkien's work. I haven't read enough of it to care. But why would anybody get pissed off when Tolkien's work has been fucked around with for 70 years? The argument is Amazon have purchased the right to certain appendices and certain books and they yeah. can't include certain stories. Yeah. But because they're taking oh, I'm trying to phrase this so right. is it is this because Peter Jackson owns the rights to the Silmarillion? No, it's because we're getting a powerful feminist Galadriel and we're getting black dwarves, black dwarf females without beards and uh, black elves that I don't fucking care. I, I, it sounds like a bunch of people that are pissed off because there's black and black people and booby in, women on telly. And sh- surely in any world, fucking Middle Earth has a, a cacophony of, of rainbow colors of people. Yeah, I don't, why I don't does anybody get annoyed about but it? I get why I get right. I get why they're annoyed to a certain extent. Don't twist this before you fucking do. I'm glad <laughs> you're having a drink. Because J.R.L. Tolkien wanted everyone to right. be white. Well, no, this is this isn't there. Their argument is Tolkien put that work down. They've grown up loving the work, all the books, all the appendices, everything. But he right? never they said they were white. He never said anybody was but white or black or red or green or purple they, or yellow or blue. Apparently they do, but apparently they did. Apparently they were the hobbits, hairy feet, very white faces, <laughs> and only white. White par J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. No, he fucking didn't. <laughs> the hobbits frog bats down the street. <laughs> Young Adolf Baggins. <laughs> Gandalf, this this fascism thing seems to be working for our society. <laughs> Said Frodo. <laughs> Um, we get a Gremlins animated thing. We get an X Men '97, a sequel to the X Men animated cartoon. There's going to be a Marvel. There's going to be a Marvel Zombies uh, R-rated or gore-splattered zombie TV show. Marvel it's not, Zombies. It's not going to be like that. No, it won't. Um, something to do with Walking Dead. Do you watch it? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. You talked about Marvel. Let's talk about it. The main trailer to come out <clears throat> TV show. Let's talk about it. Well, no, we're not there yet because I've got a list. Oh, okay, okay, sorry. Just, just hang on. All right, hang chill, fire. chill, calm down. Jeezy, crazy, but you can fill until I get further down my list. That little, wow, an awful lot of shit came out. All this seems to be about comic books. What the fuck's that all that doing at comic? Are we going to talk? Are we going to talk about one comic book in particular? Is that we're going to do? Let's talk about Helen Mirren. Oh, I still class. 80 yeah. and I'd still banger. I there we go. Welcome to the feminist podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I probably need some Vaseline, no. <laughs> Vaseline, oh, like or something. Oh, oh. Maybe baby no. oil. Maybe baby no. oil. No, She'd she's... love that though. No, I bet she's active. <laughs> <laughs> Here, Helen Mirren is still an unbelievably gorgeous looking woman. So if you're counting your dragons so far, we've had... Oh, I never mentioned the Avatar uh, dragon thing that's on. Um, Avatar 3, got some Lego. Um, so dragon count, we're up to three now with Shazam. Um, Fury of the someone or other, because there's a dragon in this. And somebody's pissed off that he's given all his power to his younger brothers and sisters. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, I didn't mind that. But when it happened in Thor, I didn't like that. No. Um, if they do more of what came out. And it was a Thunderbolt. It was a Thunderbolt as well. Yeah, but this one looks good. Okay. Um, if, the, if they do more, apparently, um, oh, we'll come on to Dwayne in a minute. But yeah, I'm, I'm all up for Shazam 2. Fury I, I will Absolutely. be 100% there. I, 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 I thoroughly enjoyed, I think me and you have said this in the past, Shazam is still my favorite DC movie. It is still my top movie. And I don't understand why it's taken five years. Is it five years? Mm. Five no. years for the sequel. Uh, three. The first one came out in 2019. No way. Yeah, it came out in 2019, first one. Jeez, that's I remember 2017. Seeing, I think it was Ms. Marvel I saw. And then I saw this like two weeks later. And I just re- we saw it in a Cineworld preview thing. Well, shut I, my I mouth saw... then. <laughs> shut my mouth. <laughs> Cut my legs off and call me shorty. Uh, the Rock showed up in full costume. Yeah. Uh, I, read, I read somewhere where he descended from the sky. It didn't. But do you know what? Do you know what? He was holding. He was balancing very carefully. Yeah. Do you know <laughs> what? Was... The one thing that I will say about The Rock is he's such a fucking showman. He knows. I can guarantee you that it was him that probably put that whole thing together because he knows. Oh, yeah, huh? He knows from his fucking wrestling days. It's all about the performance. You the fucking Rock. you you hit the performance yeah. right. They fucking love it. That was a wrestling entrance. You look at that compared 100%. to the, what we'll talk about in Marvel in a minute with the Guardians 3, where the high evolutionary came in. This was lightning, smoke, music, promo, microphone yeah. in hand, live speak. The other one was a high evolutionary, and you've got James Gunn on stage going, oh, oh, who's that over there? It's like a fucking pantomime. And this bloke comes walking in in not bad makeup, and he just comes wandering in down aisle like he's just coming from Starbucks next door. <laughs> and there's I'm probably the there's probably better better fucking cosplayers that are standing out in the, in the fucking concourse. Yeah, but he, they know how to put on a show. Uh, Black Adam's got a trailer. We're seeing the Justice Society, Atom Smasher, Doctor Fate, Pierce Brosnan, mm-hmm. Northern Ireland. He's, he's not from Northern. He's not from Northern Ireland. He is, isn't he? He's from Monaghan. Where's that's that? down. That's that's just over oh. the border. It's it's all Northern Ireland to me. Um, you don't even care you stole us and now you don't even care (laughs) uh, Cyclone fighting Black Adam Black Adam looking very gruff and and then right at the end he takes out Bird Person Um, where where did he take him out from? he punched Bird Person and Bird Person I thought you meant he'd take take him out (laughs) I think it might have been Hawkman off you go Bird Person from his (laughs) pants (laughs) took him out for a date he opened up his coat and fucking Bird Person jumped out (laughs) ta-da you just see him in a restaurant together just pouring wine for Bird Person (laughs) Um, it looks good it looks good doesn't it yeah I'm there for it doesn't it Um, I'll be honest with you Shazam and Black Adam probably two of my favourite thrillers We've seen. I'm, I'm going through these because there's an awful lot to get through. Yeah, yeah. We've seen um, already. We've seen vi- footage of. Um, come on, help me da, out. Da, 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 da. Sorry, Batman, okay. Flashpoint, <laughs> Batman, Flashpoint, Flashpoint, Batman, Flashpoint, huh? Batman. We've already seen footage of that. We've seen footage of Aquaman two, the cash in. Is it? Is it still not being released? Has it? No, and the, the coming, these two films are still being made. And what's the common thread between those two films? Flash is Ezra Miller. How do you put Flash on at Comic Con and not have the Flash turn up? How do you put Comic Con, the Flash on at Comic Con, have Ezra Miller turn up and not have him throttle half the audience? Oh, so that'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? <laughs> wouldn't it be great? And everyone thought it was just Ezra Miller, like in the they, Flash. They, 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 they
that they are the oh, fuck it. Um, and we got um, uh, Aquaman two, and what's you know how do you have it any, without Amber Did we get anything from Aquaman two there? No, nothing. Aquaman two and the Flash and Flashpoint. I've, I've I didn't see anything. And no, these are supposed to be these are supposed to be two thousand and twenty three releases. Twenty three, I reckon. Yeah. So there should be at least. I mean, we've seen footage of Flash, yeah, Flashpoint, but again, how do you? And then you've got that elephant elephant in the room of if you put the Aquaman cast on stage, do you have Amber Heard turn up or do you not? If you do, you're backing her. If you don't, if she's not there, then you think she's been get got sacked. And do, they stick, do they just stick Johnny Depp there in her place and get Johnny Depp <laughs> no. to speak as if he's Amber Heard? No, Christopher Plummer. Uh, <laughs> I died. He's dead. Oh, animate, reanimate his cop. Do a hologram of Christopher Plummer instead of Amber Heard. <laughs> um, House of the Dragons. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I, I, more dragons. Do you know what? Now, I'm going to show you this because. <laughs> is it your I read all of. Oh, that's 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 the book it's based on there. So you're showing me George R.R. R. R. Martin. R.R. R. Martin. Fire and Blood. Fire and Blood. Fire and Blood. So it's basically, it's, well, we are, we are, I'm closer to Westeros than you, you know. Okay. Remember? Because Belfast is Westeros, remember? You live in the United Kingdom. We're all one. Carry on. Where's that? Who's that? It's near London, Derry. Right. What? Well, I seen this trailer. I seen well. I seen like a few trailers beforehand, and I'm I'm not feeling it at all. Now I will say this: I, I think me and you spoke about this before. I fucking hate teaser trailers. I hate them. 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 So I would generally, and there's a couple of trailers that are coming up that you're going to mention that are going to surprise you when I talk about them. Um, but this trailer really just fucking annoyed me because the amount of times that they said the Iron Throne. I swear to God, he must have said it about forty times, and yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, we 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 understand. You're trying you're trying to get us to think that it's Game of Thrones. We I get it. I understand. Yeah. I I get it. We, I we all that. know what it is. For me, halfway through it, I just stopped watching because I'm like, I don't want more Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's bored the I'm shit not bothered. out of me. Yeah, bored the shit out of me. And and the thought of watching Matt Smith, who I'm not enamored as a as an actor, eh. I can't watch all the series. I can but give him or you're take basically going to get a whole lot more of people bitching over a throne. Yeah, there's nothing original to that. And do you know what the George. one thing that what the one thing annoyed me as well? Paddy fucking Constantine's in it. Yeah, and I was I like, love him. oh, Paddy, come on, <laughs> you're come better on. than you're fucking. I know this is your payday, but you're better than this. Um, George R. R. Martin told the crowds. Um, that he wouldn't be acting cameoing in any of the Game of Thrones spin-offs until Winds of Winter is done. Well, George, write the fucking book. Well, I don't read them, and I know. <laughs> write the, read the fucking book. Well, let's put it like this, all right? The Feast for Crows came out in 2011, 2012. So mm. it's been it's been over 10 years, right? It's been over 10 years. There's been multiple conspiracy theories as to why it's taken them so long. I, I, I believe that the reason why it's taken them so long is because he's fallen down so many rabbit holes of the book. Now, George R. R. Martin has a, a blog post called Not a Blog, and he did a very, very, very long post about Winds of Winter because he hates 
talking about Winds of Winter because you can understand it why he hates talking about it because as soon as he starts talking about it people start fucking when are you getting it when's yeah. it coming out when's this going so I can understand that but he did a really really long post about Winds of Winter and he tried to explain to people why it's taken him so long you know there are people in the books that aren't in the TV show there are people in the TV show that aren't in the books. There are names that are changed in the TV show that aren't the same in the books. There's also people who are going to stay alive in the books who are dead in the TV show. There are people who are going to die, you know, uh, in the books that are still alive in the TV show. So he's trying to kind of placate people to this. It is multi-complex. I believe that Winds of Winter will come out possibly as three books, right? What released... Time release, time. No, yeah, so one will come out, then another, then another. It'll release three books because there's there's two books to go. It's A Dream of Spring is the last one and Winds of Winter is the one that's coming out. Uh, the next one's coming out. Um, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I really don't care. <laughs> go on, carry on. Maybe, some, maybe somebody feast. cares. Maybe somebody yeah, yeah, cares. The, the feast of fun. spring or something, right? Go yeah. on. So there's a feast of spring and a so, wind of so George R. R. Martin. <laughs> but yeah, I believe I believe that the reason why he's taken it's taken so long is twofold. So there's that reason why it's gonna there's gonna be a split in the books. But the second reason is he's seen the fallout of how the TV show ended and how people fucking hated it. And he's decided to change it. Won't surprise me. But if you're gonna, if you've already got enough for a book, at least release a book. Just release. But, a he's book. A, but that's the thing. He's already he's already released about. I think it's nine chapters. All right. If you look online, um, he's he's released nine chapters of them. Have you seen the trailer for Sandman? The new trailer footage. Yes, I have. And I fucking love it. Okay. Um, I but no, I've been let down in the past. I've been let down in the past with TV shows. Uh, you didn't that, like Preacher, did you? I didn't. I I, uh, I would it. I would go as far as to say that it was fucking dog shit. Um, but there you go. That's me. That's I, my own I opinion. Loved it. <clears throat> That's my own it. opinion. But um, there have been there have been a few there's been a few things that I've read that I've loved, um, and people have destroyed it either in movie form or TV form. Uh, Sandman is one of the first loves graphic novel wise for myself. And I have watched, I, I stayed away from it. I stayed away from the trailers and I stayed away from, you know, the snippets and the fucking peaks and all that shit. And finally I watched everything over uh, San Diego comic-con weekend and I fucking love it. Okay. I'm feeding off it. I'm loving every single minute of it. You can explain it all to me when it comes out. Um, yeah, more Black Adam. Um, the Rock was asked who would win the fight between Black Adam and Superman. The Rock said to the crowd, "Very, he's uh, had this one lined up by the PR folk from uh, from wherever. It probably all depends on who is playing Superman." It was met with boos from the crowd because they want Henry Cavill to stay on. <laughs> oh, but wasn't this the reason? Because they all thought that um, Henry Cavill was going to come out and he was going to yeah. Be Superman Squared again, up to him and, yeah, 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 and then it didn't happen. Never to get annoyed. So we got the first um, hinting towards Ant Man, uh, Quantum Mania, when Marvel took the floor in Hall H. Um, there was some footage that was released. Now I'm, I don't go into, I'm not going to go into detail with it because I've heard bits of it and stuff. But mm. long and short of it is, we're getting a we're getting a, an addition to the the pair of Ant Man and the Wasp uh, in terms of Cassie Lang. So mm-hmm. that young Avengers is really starting to form, um, and he has a 
uh, a face-off, shall we say, against Kang the Conqueror, does that mm-hmm. man? And he says uh, quite, you know, boastfully, I'm an Avenger, uh, to which Kang replies, I'm a Conqueror. Now, that sounds great. That is building more excitement for me than actually seeing it, because you're mm-hmm. thinking... How does it deliver the line? Is it good? How, how is it? You know, I don't want to see leaked footage and that's building the interest in it. Um, how, how interested are you for Ant-Man 3? My theory of the fact that the last year, year and a half of Marvel movies had absolutely nothing to do with the actual Marvel universe has actually come to fruition. And I would like some recognition about that, please. Okay, so before we start, Explain that. I said a long, long time ago that mm-hmm. every single TV show and movie that comes out with Marvel will have a semblance of a thread that runs through it that has some kind of uh, attachment to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But what they're doing is they're throwing everything at a wall and seeing what sticks. Then when it comes to phase five, uh, that's when they will start to put the thread together. Well, Kevin Feige has come out and said that um, phase four, so this is now phase four, phase five, phase six, Marvel 2.0, as you call it, is Mm -hmm. the multiverse, the multiverse saga. We've had the Infinity Saga. This is the multiverse saga. And he said that the way of storytelling, where you just set up a plot, a big, bad risk, jeopardy comes to fruition, win the day. The way they're going to tell this story in this multiverse saga is a lot different. Now, I think all they've done with phase four is just introduce a bunch of new characters. Yeah. That's all they've done. Introduce a bunch of new characters. The Moon Knight TV show, you could forget about him until 2024. And when you have Secret Wars, one guy turns around and there's Moon Knight and everybody knows he is, knows what he does, and they'll be buzzing because he's there. And they've just, they're just creating pops. And they've got all these films. Some of them were to tie up loose ends. Some of them were bringing it, you know, bringing it forward. Some of it has introduced the concept of the multiverse. Some of them have big misstep i must admit but the, the kind of trying to sew threads of a story and w- with the films that have been announced for phase five i'd be interested to see where it goes because i still can't see the threads joining up i do believe that they've got a plan i really do if they've gone so far as to announce films in phase six they well, know the way the stories are going to go. So I don't well, think i think, but it that, off, but... i think i think the plan has literally just come together for me I, the, the plan has just come together. They've so decided. What, they've decided to throw. They've decided to see what's popular and what's not. They have thrown everything at the wall. Uh, be it Shang Chi, be it Eternals, be it the Multiverse of Madness, Doctor Strange with Thor, with Wanda, with uh, Loki, with fucking Winter Soldier, with Falcon. They've thrown everything at the wall. They're trying to see what's popular. Then they're going to run that thread through it and go, right, who's what and where. Now, they have ruined one thing because I thought Wanda was going to be a much bigger you know, version. Or Well, she, I suppose she will. She's still maybe. She, She's yeah, still she maybe. can still come back. But if you think about this, right, we've had Black Widow, which introduced Yelena. Mm. So it's setting up one of the young Avengers. That's all she's done, introduced a new character. Hawkeye has done just that as well. Um, Loki introduced the concept of time, multiverse, Kang, uh, variants of yourself. Um, Eternals pushed to one side, did nothing for the for that story. Mm-hmm. Shang Chi, I'm still not seeing it. What that's got to do? Spider Man and Doctor Strange and One Division all linking together, um, and then we've had Thor, which it, it pushed that to one side. 
So Thor, Shang-Chi, Eternals, it's kind of like they're doing their own thing and that's testing stuff out or directors having directors having fun with the material, whether it's um, Chloe Zhao or, or Taika Waititi. But they wanted to see where those stories go. And I think they're kind of just saying, go and have fun with those. Thor, they don't need him. I think the only thing they need Thor for... <laughs> I wanted to be nah, slow. Thor for. I think the only thing that they are keeping Thor for is to be killed by when Kang first turns up. Okay. He's prime original Avenger, powerful, strongest Avenger. We know how strong he is. He's a god. Nobody can kill him. And he they need a push. Go back to the Avenger, the Avengers Assemble film, the first Avengers film, and they needed a push to join together. And and you need to also think of that first scene with Thanos on the Asgardian ship where he takes out Hulk. You need somebody to be set an example of to show how powerful mm. your main bad guy is. And and that's where Thor is now. He, he's had some fun. He's, he's finished his story with Jane. And I think now you need to he needs to be, be going soon, either at beginning of Kang Dynasty or before Secret Wars or something. Um, I can see I can see there's stories and if I can see where they're, they're going, hopefully, in terms of all they've done is introduce the multiverse theory. Mm-hmm. And the the it's so big a concept, you've had to drop bits into different stories. So strange you had to see how other people lived in other multiverses and how you can travel between it. Loki had to explain the the concept of different branch timelines breaking off and how different those could be. Spider-Man for our for, um no way home shows what happens when they can cross over between them. And I think it's just putting all those pieces and then the next films that are coming along will bring all those together. Thinking of it, the post credit scene in Eternals had the voice of Blade. So yeah. that's that's going to link into Blade somehow. Um, speaking of Blade, November 3rd next year. Yeah, it's quick, isn't it? Yeah. I'm all for that. I just don't think it needs to be. I know the, the diehard comic book fans will say, oh, it's got to be blood and violence it's like well think how we killed them all in killed the vampires in all the films stabbed them they're just dissolved marvel 12a films can have them dissolving you can have him killing vampires like that yeah we're not we're not we're not going to get fucking you know disco trance music we're not going to get you know walls of blood or fucking blood coming through the sprinkler system like we're not getting that in the same way that I think people who are excited about the Daredevil Born Again series that's coming to Disney Plus, <sighs> you know what? We are not getting Netflix Daredevil season one. We are getting Disney Plus Daredevil. We are getting 12A yeah. uh, uh, PG 13 Daredevil. Yeah. Yes, there will be Kung Fu fighting action, but it will not be with the same brutality as the Netflix series. Yeah, Not a chance. you say that, and, but you know, Deadpool's gone on, you know, Disney Plus and stuff as well. So they are they're veering yeah. towards maybe a little bit more of an adult kind of content audience. Maybe again, that's that wasn't their content though. They're just showing. I know, that but they wouldn't. They the wouldn't. Studio. But they know they understand how popular Deadpool is. I think I know which trailer you wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. She Hulk, Attorney at Law. She Hulk. No, 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 no. Let me say this, right? The first, the first sneak peek of this, I thought, wow, this is a steaming pile of dog shit. The second trail I got is like, wow, comic, you were right. This is a steaming pile of dog shit. This trailer, I get it. I, you know what, when I first watched this trailer, 
I just thought it would, looks like a, an Alan McBeal ripoff. Alan Fleabag. McBeal it's crossed Fleabag. with Fleabag. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I absolutely just thought I'll hate it. I'll, I'll hate it. Yeah. So secret invasion. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I thought I'll you know, hate I'm it. not. I'll hate I'm it. Not, I, I'm not going to say. It's I not know. For me. I know. Listen, listen. It's I'm not, not going to say. I'm not going to say that I thoroughly enjoyed it. All right. What I will say is that it was a lot better, and the character came across uh, a lot more filled. Hulk joke. Than the other, Splendix. Yes, um, came a lot more uh, of a fuller character than what the other trailers did. Obviously, because the other trailers are teaser trailers, and teaser trailers are fucking notoriously shit. Cormac Mullen, two thousand twenty-two. Okay, we're going to fly through these because Marvel dumped a whole lot of information. Let's go. Uh, Secret Invasion filmed in Halifax, West Let's Yorkshire. Let's go. Yes. Yeah, I'm there. Um, skulls looking like other people. Uh, then phase five will conclude with the Thunderbolts, basically suicide Marvel suicide. No, film. I'm not there for it. I am there for that. I'm really there for that. I think that's going to be fun. Um, it's going to be Abomination. It's going to be Baron Zemo. It's going to be probably Yelena. Maybe Yelena would be in there. No, I'm not there for it. Captain America: New World Order. No, I'm not there for it. This is a film sequel to Captain America and the Winter Soldier TV show, which yep. was shit. And not this there is for now it. a sequel to that. <laughs> what, what, why didn't you just make the film? Yep. Why did you just make the film? Because they um, had a show. They had a show. They had a show how he became Captain America, even though they showed it at the end of Endgame. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 came to San Diego Comic Con. Ooh. Yeah. And it was like, it was like the, the most put together fucking panel that I've like, you would have and thought did. you would have thought that they would have had a semi kind of script, like wouldn't you? Yeah, they didn't. They had to give the microphone to the director and they went, go and talk. It is literally like they, they pulled people off the street to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Like it's I'm talking good. about Chris Chris Pratt came across as he didn't have like have you even actually been in this movie? Because you don't have a fucking clue what you're talking about. You know, it was like one of them was said, I can't remember who it was. I think it was uh, the girl playing Cassie in in Ant Man, and I think she said something along the lines of, "I'm uh, in the movie." Uh, I don't know if I can say that. You, you know, he won't, I'm in the movie. You know, something that she does like. I think uh, what I do is actually really integral to the emotion of the story. You think, I think I'm allowed to say that. And do you think like, Kevin Kevin Feige is standing behind the curtain and every one of them walks on and goes, right, and here is Star-Lord, Chris Pratt. Before he goes on, Kevin Feige just whispered in his ear, you fucking say one thing, I'll fucking you, you fucking prick. Hey, Chris Pratt, yay, clap, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and it's here's like, Karen Gillan. If you fucking say I'm going to fucking stab you right in the fucking eyeball, you bitch. It's like the scene in Simpsons where he's got the gun behind him and he goes, that's it, just keep waving. Yeah. Just keep and it's waving. Just like, but it's just like everybody was just so afraid to say one fucking thing. Uh, we got a trailer and it's High Evolutionary is in there. Adam Warlock. Um, the I little didn't get to see from... the trailer. Was the trailer released? No. But there's somebody who was in there who recorded it on the phone. Did I just thought I'm not going to watch it? Wait, I want to watch it in all its glory on my nine inch phone. Um, <laughs> Scorsese, Scorsese just heard that. Another Scorsese's fucking it life just left him. <laughs> um, TV series Echo, deaf, deaf female Loki, probably female Loki, Ironheart, female Iron Man, Agatha, female witch. 
Um, they're really going for the female aspect out there. They're going for that female dollar. <laughs> well, they've, they've got half, half the world, got half the world of female ball. Yeah, they've got Love Island. Um, <laughs> and, and footballers' wives. <laughs> and footballers' wives. Why can't you just eat your bonbons and be happy with Coronation Street? Now, God, talk about handbags. <laughs> MC, I do not think this way to the three women that listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> three, that's lucky. <laughs> There's probably three. Um, hey, if you're a woman that listens to us, they don't move a chef <laughs> at pod move a chef. Apparently, 59% of our listeners on Spotify are women. They have more sense. Women have more sense than they listen to us. Fucking drivel. Uh, that's right. They listen to us one minute and just pigs, pigs, gorgeous, hunky sounding. <laughs> MCU phase six will begin with the Fantastic Four. Yay. And it will end, uh, yeah, shut With up. With Fantastic will... Four. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic Four 2. <laughs> Do you think it'll be Fantastic Four 2? Four 2? Fantastic Four 2 2. Um, and it will end with a double bill of Avengers films, uh, the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. Kang Dynasty, the fighting Kang. Secret Wars, uh, so Kang Dynasty is basically, there's loads of variations of him through time and he, can travel through time and the multiverse and go anywhere he wants and kill anyone he wants or bring anyone or do whatever he wants. Uh, and then they'll probably kill him by chopping his head off. And then Avengers Thor, Secret Wars. Thor, Thor will kill him. It's going it's to be ah. Thor or Wanda, isn't it? Thor's, no, it won't be. Oh, Wanda gets a redemption just as yeah. she dies. Yeah. But that's what I'm thinking. See, I'm thinking Thor as yeah, well. Zap him, and, and then he, Thor. and then Thor's Thor, Thor's, Thor's and then Thor happens. will give it. The, Thor will give, or it'll be his daughter or whatever she is, his niece or his adopted thing, and she'll be like, "I got, I went for the head." Thor, Thor, <laughs> Thor will be like stood in front of him, going, "Whoa, so you're like uh, Kang? Who crazy? <laughs> oh, I'm gonna walk away, get a drink, Korg, come with me. Whoa, crazy." Um, and it will end also with Avengers Secret Wars. So Secret Wars, um, some dude called Be- the Beyonder turns up and takes all the good guys, all the bad guys, sticks them on a different planet and goes fight. And it's just a fight and it's a war film. And it's going to be a war film. Um, but by that time, hopefully we will have X-Men and She-Hulks and Moon Knights and Loki. She-Hulks? Hulks, th- Hulks plural? Well, she, she and Hulk. There's going to be She-Hulks in there. Hulk can have dog the but and Hulk Kai. But now we're starting to imagine the this is a beaten Endgame kind of thing. You imagine you get all those people from Endgame and then you add in all these characters that have been introducing now. Characters who we're going to see dropped into other films over the next three or four years. And it's going to culminate with this massive battle of Thunderbolts on one side, bad X-Men, good X-Men here. It's going to be, I think it's going to be massive. I'm so looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm not. No, fair enough. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever got a trailer. Mm-hmm. Very African. <laughs> I did notice that. <laughs> Very African. But no, it looks stunning. Um, I-, I love the fact that we have a Black Panther trailer and it shows off the vibrancy and colour and music and beauty of of the, the African place where it's shot. And then suddenly it's just right at the end you get a shot of the Black Panther just showing. And that's... It's very feminine behind, shall we say. Well, we are, we're still left in the dark as to who it is. Yeah, because at this minute, we don't know who it is, Shuri. And we don't know who it's going to be. And it could be anyone, Shuri. Because we didn't obviously know that they couldn't carry on filming the film when Letitia, what's her name, went COVID crazy and couldn't fly anywhere. Um, 
and we're also getting uh, Namor the Submariner. Yeah. Uh, it's supposed to be a mutant. Sounds very much like uh, a similar DC water-breathing man. But I wonder who came out first. Uh, we'll find out for Check it out. It. Check it out. Check it um, out. And Feige did actually take the actual con- time to confirm that the Russos won't be anywhere near Secret Wars or the Kang Dynasty. It's probably going to be Taika Waititi in it. That's a big mistake, though, isn't it? Absolutely. If like you've that just, is a, you, that's a big absolutely. mistake. You've got the the biggest film of all time, two directors, they know the, the, the crews, they know the, the producers, they know the actors, they know the story, they know how to put a film like that together using other people's works and other people's styles and bring it all together in one concluding dual film. And you go, nah. Unless but, they've gone. Unless, yeah, unless they've gone, nah. Yeah, yeah. They've probably gone, nah. Um, right. Anything else from San Diego? No, it's just the wee whistle top stop tour there. Yeah, I enjoyed that. A little, yeah, just that's an hour. An hour. <laughs> I remember when this was last year. We we're talking about it, and we got about four listens in a week. It like <laughs> we don't want to know about this. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Tell us about Quentin Tarantino. Um, should we talk about Quentin Tarantino? Let's talk about Quentin Tarantino. Hey, do you have a podcast or maybe you're just thinking about starting a podcast? Well, I am Chris from Podtastic Audio, and here I show you tips and tricks on how to make your audio sound the best it possibly can with the gear you already have. With two years of experience on the Chris and Christine show creating the finest audio I possibly can make, I will show you the tips and tricks I have used on that show to make the audio sound fantastic. So if you have any podcast-related questions to your audio, you always can email me at podtasticaudio at gmail.com like this guy here did. His name is Joe. Joe writes in from the cast. Hey, Chris, when we all sit down together to record our episode, our audio is too low and it has a lot of echo in the recording. How do we make our show sound better? Well, Joe, is the microphone you're using rhyme with the name Betty? And is that microphone in the same room with you? I'd start with that stuff first. And for more podtastic audio information, you can go to anchor.fm slash podtastic audio and you keep on making your amazing podcast. I don't think there's been a director in the last 30 years that has changed cinema as much as Tarantino. And that's who we're talking about today, Quentin Tarantino. Well, Tarantino bonded us. Absolutely. And we, and we and no doubt we will come on to that. But we are talking our top when five. When you suck me off in that cinema? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> you said it was a nice lolly. Um, <laughs> there are certain directors over time that have, that have changed, I think, how cinema is made. Spielberg, yeah. Kubrick, Leone. There are people like that and and I think they come across once a generation. I don't think we've had one who has changed cinema and the way films are made. Possibly the Wachowskis with the Matrix. Mm, maybe. The, as somebody who's continually produced quality work, Quentin Tarantino is probably the 21st century auteur director. Yeah. I mean, he changed the landscape. People don't understand this. He changed the landscape of film. You know, he changed everything. 
you know, there are movies, I think we spoke about this ages ago, there are movies that kind of change the tide. Um, uh, was it Easy Rider ended the studio system along with, yeah. you know, things like Bonnie and Clyde. When Pulp Fiction hit, it changed cinema. Every single fucking movie that came out after Pulp Fiction was, you know, not narrative driven. You know, it was very non-linear filmmaking. Your stories were all over the place. Every single fucking movie that came out for the for five years after Pulp Fiction tried to be Pulp Fiction. And, you know, just insane. But Tarantino is one of these directors who is not a son or a nephew of somebody or somebody's brother or he didn't go to specific art schools or what have you. He grew up absorbing and watching film and loving film. Yeah. Um, from, from Tennessee, originally born in March 27th, 1963. Um, and very, to Los quite, Angeles. Quite famously has a photographic memory as well. Yeah, so every single thing he's watching. And and with his films, he I've sometimes criticised him because I think every time I watch some, something of his, it's like he's showing off. It's like saying, look how many films yeah. I've seen. But he's not. He's using the same elements of genres that we have seen time and time again and doing something completely new with it. And we're going to come on to that. I think every one of our top five encapsulates that, where he takes something from whether it's a World War II film, whether it's yeah. black exploitation, whether it's from Kung Fu movies, and he does something new and fresh, but different. Yeah, but, you know, you have to understand that every fucking movie steals from every single fucking movie. Every, you know, there are very few directors that will bring out something that is new and captivating. What Tarantino did was he could, like, with Reservoir Dogs, right, when he brought Reservoir Dogs out, he made me and my brother, who were, what, 10, 11, you know, at the time of it coming out, we were fucking obsessed with Reservoir Dogs. Now, you think about this. We were obsessed with Reservoir Dogs five miles outside of Oma in a place that didn't have internet. That internet was a fucking far, 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 far go away. We knew about Reservoir Dogs simply through like Neon. You remember the film magazine Neon? Neon, Empire, Total Film. You know, we were buying these things fucking, people were talking about Quentin Tarantino, talking about, you know, Harvey Keitel, Mr. Brown, Mr. Orange, Mr. Pink, you know, Mr. Blue. You know, it was iconic, the suits. You know, we were building a house. We were building a house uh, out uh, where we were living at that time, I'd say, Doma. And we basically built a set for every little bit of reservoir dogs that we were trying to like film and we were not even filming it. We were pretending we were making a film doing the film. That's how crazy that he touched people in cinema. And it did. And it's such a, it's just a straight story. Bank robbery gone, bag job gone wrong. Yeah. Gangster movie. And before that came out, he was, well, he was working in video archives in Manhattan beach, California watching every film he could in the shop. He was talking to people about movies. He was going to see double features at local cinemas. It was a time when he was just absorbing all different kinds of films from all over the world. And he was writing his own films. He'd written um, Reservoir Dogs, but before that, he'd written a few other few other scripts, which he had to sell to get Reservoir Dogs made. He was working with... Um, Lawrence Bender, I believe it was. And he said, I can, you know, I've got about three, three, five thousand to put this this indie small low budget film together. And he goes, It's a really good script. Let's 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 make it. 
And he's like, oh, okay. And he goes, give me, give me a couple of weeks. Let me see if I can get the money put together. And he, I think they've got about 600 grand and they've got Harvey Keitel on board. Um, but before that, he had to sell the, these, these scripts. One of them was Natural Born Killers, which is on record of saying that is pretty much not a Tarantino film. Mm-hmm. I don't consider it a Tarantino film, which is why we're not including it in the top five. Um, I won't even put it in my top 12 Tarantino, if you can go that far for his films that you consider his. Um, just because it's not his film, it's all of the Stone I, I, I still, I still do like Natural Born Killers. Uh, I think it has a very good fucking soundtrack as well. Um, there's two songs on it, L7's Shit List and Dylan's You Belong to Me. Uh, still one of my favourite songs of all time, and it's because of the movie. It also written uh, another one, True Romance, which we've talked about before, but we're going to talk mm-hmm. about possibly later. And he wrote another one called From Dust Till Dawn, which... This for me, he's starring in this. He stars in this film. He wrote this film. Uh, Robert Rodriguez directed it. But from Dust till dawn is it's a it's a cult classic. It yeah. is brilliant. Like, it is a yeah. tale of two brothers who have uh, who have robbed banks and killed people, and they're making a break for the Mexican border. And it's two films in one. I remember, I think I've mentioned this before, I taped it off Sky uh, and you're having to rewind the VHS to get to the bit. And I just stopped it halfway through thinking, I'd, you know, have I rewound it enough? And it, and it was vampires eating people. I didn't yeah. know what the film was about. It was a new one called From Dust Till Dawn with George Clooney in it and Tarantino, so I'm going to watch it. And I thought it was a, nothing was mentioned to the vampires in the adverts and stuff. It was just a, a crime caper. The thing that I liked about From Dust Till Dawn as well is that, this was Clooney, I believe, his first major movie after ER, or maybe he was just leaving ER, he was still in ER. What a fucking punt uh, for a movie to take on. Like, you know, the first half of From Dust Till Dawn um, is very dark as well. You know, it, we're, oh, yeah. we, you know, we've got these two brothers who have, have escaped from prison or whatever, and they basically kidnap a family. One of the brothers is a fucking, you know, sex offender pedophile. And, you know, we have, as Quentin Tarantino, and you've got George Clooney, you know, who is very much America's heartthrob at that point in time. And he is a sympathizer, you know, to his brother. And he loves his brother, even though he knows how bad that his brother is. And the first half of it is going down the alleyway of a very, very, very much fucking Quentin Tarantino movie. And then obviously you get to Cheech Marin and the fucking titty twister and it turns into a vampire movie, like out of fucking nowhere. Out of nowhere, literally out of nowhere. It's always, it's hinted, but I love this. I love um, Harvey Keitel in this. Going against form is very... um, I was trying to think of the word earlier, but he's very vulnerable. Hmm. A lot of his movies before is the cocksure, gangster, the man in the man in the know, whatever. And this is the the vulnerable pastor who's, who's fighting with his faith. Um, it is slick. It is stylish. It is one of uh, Rodriguez's better films. I'm not. <laughs> I don't think there's much argument there. Yeah, there's not. There's not. Um, I mean, no. the the one the one great thing about from Dusseldorf as well is the supporting cast that comes along with it. When we finally get to the Teddy Twister, you know, we have uh, Danny Trejo, we have Cheech, but we have Tom Savini as well. You know, Mm. Tom Savini, the fucking, one of the masters of fucking visual effects, you know, practical visual effects. Um, And he was part of the Dusted On crew as well, doing all this stuff. And one of my favorite scenes 
is when everything goes haywire and the vampires come out and they start killing the people in it. The band. Do you remember when the yeah. band and then they fucking rip people apart and then the guys playing the, the guitar the with the exactly, arm yeah. and the body. Like I just said, everything within that movie was fantastic. And uh, and I love how they've brought it. They managed very bad to, True Romance, we're going to, again, we are going to talk about that. That was Ridley, uh, Tony Scott who took over directing. Um, while we're going to talk about the changes that were done between Tarantino's script, that was still a very Tarantino film. The first half of this, I think, is very much a Tarantino film. Um, yeah. Possibly all of it could be, but the first half of it absolutely is Tarantino all over it. Do you think there's a we're going to keep touching on the association with violence and sexual violence and Tarantino's opinions on it but he's very forthright in saying that he's the violence and everything in movies is just that it is on the screen yeah. it is escapism he separates it from real life you should 100% but then you also get the the sort of every part that he seems to play by there are in Planet Terror, for example, who played rapist number one, mm-hmm. and this is playing a, a paedophile, whatever. Does do he want think, to put himself in yeah, these roles? But do you are, think no? But do you think that he's maybe putting himself in these roles because he might feel uncomfortable putting somebody else in the role, and he wants to be the worst person, you know, within the the the, the, the universe of that that film? Could well be. You know, yeah, I, I I understand it completely. You know, I've heard. You know, I think everybody who 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 would know anything to do with Quentin Tarnito understands the uh, the complexities, we'll say, uh, of his scripts. Um, the use of language within the scripts. I think Spike Lee has been very very vocal um, yeah. over the script uh, that he's done. Um, you know, you, you look at the other side of that. Samuel Jackson's a defender of his script. Um, but there are there are a few people um, who are quite upset and are very vocal with with the use of language that he has. Yeah, and we've we'll come on to that now actually because that's uh, number five um, from Dust Till Dawn in the Tarantino top five. Number four, um, these are the these are the top five. Me and you have spent hours arguing over. <laughs> we say hours. I send you mine. You send me yours. Yeah, it looks about right. We'll do. And they all matched. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. There are a couple that were out, but we kind of came to a came to an agreement didn't we um but number four is django unchained from 2012 um releasing shortly after or not not too long after the in the wake of the sandy hook um shootings the sandy hook massacre shall we say um and django unchained is a very violent film with shooting and guns and people dying and getting shot um there's an infamous interview it always comes up in one of these top uh times directors and actors have kicked off with people interviewing them and there's channel four news as a shit stirrer in a tie Kristen guru murphy um says tries to push tarantino when he's being interviewed for this and trying to push him on a connection between real life violence and movies and what does tarantino don't want to go there he's said it time no. and time again and he in his and we've seen this interview can we go find it on channel 4's website um it, it, tarantino says and he's and tarantino knows what he's doing as well he's saying the violence in this film is just that it is a violent film and and guru murphy's trying to say to him why do you want to see this violence why are you doing this what what attracts you to movies that are violent and it's, it's Tarantino saying, I don't want to say that. 
because I've said it before and I'm not going to give you sound bites for your interview. Yeah. Which in turn became a soundbite for the interview. Um, I, I, I agree that they sort of postponed the premiere and put it all off and do it very quietly in the way it's, Sandy Hook was a atrocious incident that should never happen again. America, wake up. Um, but as a, as a piece of cinema, Django is one of, for me, it's one of his best directorial efforts. Yeah. It's incredible. Uh, it, I, I would still say, I would still say that Django is slightly long in, in what it's trying to do, but as a storyline, as an actual hot shot, um, I think Christoph Waltz is just, uh, he, he, I don't know how to explain it. It's like chocolate and ice cream, you know, when he gets with, with Quentin Tarantino. There is some certain juju that he gets whenever he, at Quentin Tarantino's, uh, or Quentin Tarantino's script lands in front of him. He knows exactly how to act it and how to say it and how to speak whenever it comes up. Tarantino's been on record as saying Uma Thurman is his muse, mm-hmm. or was for a time. Who would you say is his lucky charm? Would it be Christoph Waltz? Because he's only been in two of his films. He's only been in two. He's only been in would two. It be, would it be Samuel L. Jackson? Because um, the only film that didn't do well of Tarantino's was Death Proof. And Samuel well, wasn't in that. I do, I'm in the, under the belief that Tarantino doesn't need a lucky charm. All right. Because let's look at it like this. Tarantino's best movies are probably the movies that made the least amount of the box office. Hmm. You know, so if we're looking at it, if we're looking at it, um, Django is probably his biggest award winner, I would say. Yeah, it was up there, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's oh, no, I think he's, he's won a lot. The, once upon a time in Hollywood did a lot as well for the acting side of it. But yeah, but he's like Django is one of those, Django is one of those movies, you know, I think. Uh, DiCaprio was amazing and as 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 Calvin Candy, um, Christoph Waltz as, as King Schultz, um, you know Jamie Fox as Django, Kerry Washington was unbelievable as Brumhilda. Um, whose who's story do you think Django Unchained is? Well, I think like there's a strange one because I was looking at the names uh, of people in it and I've never read it before, but the name of um, Samuel Jackson's character. I can't even fucking remember what the surname was. Steve Stephen S- Stephen something. Yeah, was the I, same I mean, name. Was the same name as Samuel Jackson's character in The Hateful Eight. Right. Okay. So it was his descendant. Yeah, it was like the same. Name. It was the same surname. What I was going to say was, who do you think it's Doctor Schultz or do you think it's Django? Because Will Smith, I think, was offered the part of Django and he turned it down because he wasn't in it enough. It wasn't, he wasn't the one killing Calvin Candy. It wasn't his story from start to finish. Django sort of, I know Schultz turned up right at the beginning and they kind of came together. Mm. But in terms of the person getting, it's it's across, it's tight between them. And Will Smith turned down the role because he felt Django wasn't the lead character because of the, the oh. key moment Schultz had. Django that, definitely is the lead character. But that you know, whole scene, that whole scene where Schultz is negotiating um, over Broomhilda's release with Candy at the dinner table with the white cake and everything, Django mm. is silent. And I know that's part of the scene, et cetera, but there's more emphasis. And for yeah, me, but he has, I was, yeah, he has to be silent during that yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I understand it, but I'm just saying it, it, a lot of the cool lines, a lot of the great moments, a lot of the, the big moments where the other people kill it, a lot of it was put towards Calvin Candy as well. And Will Smith turned it down. 
Don't blame me. Blame the guy who slaps people on stage. He's the one who turns Yeah, but I think I think I think that the, the, Quentin Tarantino's movies are littered with supporting characters uh, who branch out and have so much impact within them roles that they can maybe give off the impression that they're the lead actor of the movies. You know, you look at any of them, obviously we'll talk about them later on down the line, but, you know, you look at even Pulp Fiction, for for for, for instance, you know, Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer, you know, they come across, you know, as two unbelievable actors given to unbelievable performances. And, you know, they could be the leads in the movie. And he did well to shine a light on this film um, film and what it did in terms of uh, brutality, uh, yeah, brutality, br- brutality, of- and then just basically racism in America. Yeah, Tarant Tantino said there's been two holocausts in America: slavery and Native Americans. Yeah, and they've got those those as Americans, they've got that to live with, and there are a lot of events. And, and while these are very, dare I say, glamorized for Hollywood. Um, it does educate people about, and, and the use of language, the use of the N-word, it, that is how people were spoken to. Maybe not in Tarantino's unique voice, but yeah. that was, he, he's not trying to do anything other than what, and he's opening people's eyes to how it was. But that's that's Django at number four, and I think that is, like I say, it's the one I, um, it's the one I sort of started recognising DiCaprio as someone I really enjoyed watching, rather than yeah. Slightly irritated me as this young little prick. It, that was him starting to grow up as an actor. Um, <laughs> when he was 40. <laughs> when he was 40 and no longer banging 17-year-olds. Um, oh, he's still, no, he's still banging them. Oh, allegedly. Allegedly. No, he definitely is. 17-year-olds. Yeah, that's yeah. legal. That's legal. <laughs> In this, okay, let's not go there. Um, Kill Bill is number three. Now, this was quite contentious. Oh. You, added this, you added this a bit higher, didn't you? I did, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is that a bit of nostalgia? You tell it we've told the story, but let's tell it again. uh... It's just it's everything everything about Kill Bill. Kill Bill was was the movie that me and you kind of bonded over more than anything else. You know, I think two things that me and you bonded over was music, music and movies. Mm. And when you put Kill Bill together, it has possibly the greatest soundtrack. Of any movie, you know, hit but beat for beat for beat for beat. You know, every scene is connected to a song. Every song within that movie is is on point. Uh, it, it just it just hit every single fucking chord for me. Now, are we are we discussing Kill Bill Volume One? one? What volume? Volume this One is one into yeah, 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 yeah because yeah, yeah. um some people can put Kill Bill One and Two together. And have it as, and we're going to talk about what Tarantino's tenth film should be. Yeah. Um, for me, Kill Bill Volume One is far oh. better than second. Well, well, Volume Two is Volume Two is. I always think of Volume One is the journey, and Volume Two is the destination, and the journey is always more fun than the destination. In, I haven't seen these, the the full bloody cutter, whatever he calls it, the full film. I can imagine watching that in the cinema for the first time, and you have got this roller coaster, this hurricane of a first act, first second act almost of of the crazy eight eight fight, etc. Mm. And then from after that, it's just then this slow sort of pondering. Anyway, for Kill Bill Volume One, um, 
absolutely incredible. There was, there's a story that came out recently that I found when I was reading about this. Um, I, can't, I think it's been talked about for quite a while, but it's the injury Uma Thurman suffered on set. And these two had been very close to his whole career. Um, like I say, she was in um, uh, Pulp Fiction. There was talking to you. There was developing Kill Bill while on the set, et cetera, et cetera. And they became very close. But there was a scene in Kill Bill where she had to be driving down, but he had to be driving down the road. And Thurman recalled in an interview, she said, Quentin came in my trailer and didn't like to hear no at any director. Okay, I'll, I'll carry on before that because it sounds really bad, does that? Mm. Um, he was furious because it cost him a lot because we'd cost him a lot of time. He said, I promise you the car's fine. It's a straight piece of road, hit 40 miles an hour or your hair won't blow the right way and I'll make you do it again. Um, she said it was a death box. Uh, the seat wasn't screwed on properly. There was sand on the road and it was not a straight road. Um, it backfired. She got into a terrible accident and almost died. Um, Tarantino was angry uh, because she, he, she was blaming him with attempted murder. Um, he was trying to fulfill his artistic vision. Um, Thurman ended up in hospital after the steering wheel got lodged and her legs were damaged and knees were damaged. Um, she thought she was never going to walk again. She'd returned to set. She was in a neck brace, um, massive lump on her head, concussion. She wanted to see the car, but then her and Tarantino got into a fight. Um, and she said rather, rather strongly, that's what I fully believe, you know, that sounds awful. Basically, she said, Harvey assaulted me, but that didn't kill me. What really got me about the crash was that it was a cheap shot. I had really always felt a connection to the greater good in my work with Quentin, and most of what I allowed to happen to me and what I participated in was kind of like horrible mud wrestle with a very angry brother. So <clears throat> they're a very close relationship, but when you start making decisions that risk people's lives, mm. Is that going too far for you, for your vision, for your work? Where do we stop, right? Where, where, where do we draw the line when it comes to, you know, directors like William Freakin, you know, slapping, mm. slapping people, blowing shotguns. Um, you know, there's multiple. There's, no, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that putting somebody's life in risk is what what should be done. But when it comes to the greatest directors, the greatest filmmakers, the greatest storytellers, they tread the line of uh, genius madness. You know, they need when you're in that environment, when you're trying to get, you know, the perfect shot. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm not at all. I'm not saying it's right. Um, you know, should he have done that? No. And under no certain terms should he have done something like that and put somebody's life at risk. But Actors routinely do things like this and nothing goes wrong, you know, mm. and yeah. it's a fine line really, isn't it? You know, you can't really, you can't really speak about it until you've worked with someone for, for so long, until you've worked multiple movies with people and you understand how they work. I am sure that if she had a turned around him and just point blank said no, he would probably have just went, Okay. You can't do it. If she says, no, I'm not doing it, you're not doing it. Yeah. But it's not her. We're not putting the blame on her. No, is, not at all. Um, Alec, the instance with Alec Baldwin um, a couple of years ago has kind of showed that even today, Hollywood film sets are not the safest of places, even when you think they are. No, so, not at all. Um, but that doesn't take it away. Kill Bill Volume 1 is, f I mean, for me, it's Every number two in terms of what is directed. 
everything everything about kill bill was 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 unbelievable story story wise you know it had that kind of uh, you know who's who the name who's the bride you know who is the bride what's her name you know it had that thread the whole way through it you know um we, we get hints at the who beatrix kiddo is you know but we don't get it but it has everything that is that is great about tarantino it has mystery it has vulgarity it has uh you know people you know getting their own back you know the scene of you know obviously uma thurman at the start of the movie is a paraplegic in a fucking in a hotel room and you know the orderly is getting money for people to rape her and you know she gets her own back on that and you know just everything about it and and everything about that movie as well is it is it is fucking very very female heavy as well it is female strong it is fucking you know oh, yeah. she it's, she is she is she is the fucking daddy yeah it's absolutely in, in it makes it all the more powerful and it's probably if it came out today people would say it's work yeah and it's not it's no. female empowerment but it is a revenge film and at no point do you consider the sex of the person you just know this is a very powerful trained yeah. strong person who's out for revenge um, that I just know it, for me, I I remember cinema experiences as in, yeah, what happens when the lights come on? <laughs> and me and you were watching this, and and there's that great line at the end: "Does she know her daughter's still alive?" And yeah, the lights came on, and me and you were just sat there like, "Whoa!" Do you remember? We walked, Do you remember going we, to Pippins? <laughs> we went to Pippins afterwards. We both lit up a cigarette and we had a pint, and we we're just looking at each other like, "What? The, yeah, <laughs> what just happened?" And it was just a force of nature. Kill Bill, number three, um, second best film he's directed, in my opinion. Number two, one of my top five favourite films of all time. A beautiful film. It's a perfect date film. I've said it before. I've said it before. It's a perfect date film. True Romance, uh, Tony Scott's uh, 1993 um, take on... uh, Tarantino's work and we have discussed this before we have discussed true romance and and, uh, the story or whatnot there's one thing that I'm really interested about about this film and it's always taken me is that this film was originally written by Quentin Tarantino uh, and it was his very uh, in particular style of being non-linear storytelling whereby you feed people different bits of information at different times of the film and it helps you understand them a little differently um if you haven't seen True Romance, we're going to be we're going to be spoiling it now, like we have, but you should have seen it by now. It's thirty years old, um, but it basically tells the story of Clarence in Alabama. She's a prostitute. He's a comic book nerd who lives in a cinema. Wonder who Tarantino was thinking of when he. Wrote I know it. exactly. Yeah, who get um, who gets the fucking unbelievably hot girl? And um, Clarence ends up murdering a, a gangster, Gary Oldman probably top five performances of his top three performances of his uh, and accidentally steals a bunch of drugs uh, heads to los angeles to try and sell these meanwhile um a mafia christopher walken again all-time best performance for christopher walken. <laughs> there's like but that's uh, the thing that's that's, it, that's it. The, the, the whole oh. thing about this movie though is right right there are you think about it you got you have val kilmers in this movie Yep. You have Brad, yep. Brad Pitt in this yep. movie. You have Walken. You have Gary Oldman. You have Dennis Hopper. You have Patricia Arquette. You have Who's Christian your man from uh, Sopranos. Come hey. on, lead guy from Sopranos. Oh, uh, name! Everyone shouts. James Gandolfini. James Gandolfini, isn't it? Yeah, and and 
Christian Slater. Christian Slater before. Christian Slater, let's not forget about him. Um, but then we, and that scene where Vincenzo and, and Clarence's dad, Dennis Hopper, are having that face off, and it's such a great scene, and it's so simple, and it's beautiful. Probably oh, amazing you know the, scene. Do you, and do you know what the one thing that puts this movie together, though? The one thing that puts this movie together? It's that little xylophone uh, Hans Zimmer, you're so cool. Din, 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 din. Like yeah, I was going just, to the Harry Potter music. Yeah, and din, it just din, puts din, it din, all din, together. Like even oh, like beautiful. every every time Clarence and Alabama are talking to each other, like that 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 yeah. little pluck of blub blub blub. Well, it's, and it's, it's like oh, it's that kind of light motif of that's a theme to the film. And you know, whenever you see romance, you hear that music, and it and it kind of it, it's Pavlov's dog. It's the little bells. So then you see them having a little cute moment and talking about pie and kung fu masters and the, you're hearing the music and every time the love blossoms you hear that coming in a little bit more uh, and they eventually tracking him down in los angeles fine clarence uh, the the mafia and all these people are coming together and there's a big tarantino shootout uh, and they end up on the beach together in the end and they got away with it um tarantino's original script was actually quite different um it, it started off with the same prologue and then it immediately goes to Clarence and Alabama going and asking Dennis Hopper for money, telling him they need to leave town and there's something a bit eerie. And, and when they go, um, Vincenzo comes and talks to, to his dad. And you think that, that that scene is completely different then because then us as an audience, we're being told for the first time what Clarence did and we think yeah. he is a criminal. He's a dirty criminal that steals drugs off the mafia. We then go to act two, which is the back to the beginning of the film, where you see the love blossom. The story starts to fill out. We learn who Drexel was. We learn where the money went. We learn how he accidentally picked the drugs up. And then we cut back to act three in Los Angeles. And, and there it's, it's repositioned it as the... In this film, it was about keeping the audience in the dark. Tarantino was feeding them bits of information. He was kind mm. of leading you down one path and then it went to another. Um, with the way Scott produced it and Scott directed the film, it was more linear. It was more about the the relationship between Clarence and it was the romance. I think in his version, it was the romance that was yeah. blossoming and moving the story forwards. In Tarantino's, it was the, the crime yeah, and the understanding of the crime. And And I think I like... Tony Scott's better. Well, let's let's just say this right. And I know this is a fucking Quentin Tarantino loving, but let's just fucking give uh, Tony Scott a little bit of a shout out here because Tony oh, yeah. Scott, Tony Scott is one of the. And I know his fucking his brother is probably a little bit more famous than him, um, but Tony Scott for me is one of the, if not top two greatest action movie directors mm. that has ever ever you look at tony scott's um state of play from i think it was 86 with top gun then it was beverly hills cop 2 which is better than beverly hills cop 1 days of thunder last boy scout then true romance crimson tide the fan enemy of the state of spy game the man was fucking on point it's just an unbelievable storyteller. And if you were trying to merge, you know, two beautiful fucking existences together, you would want a script by Tarantino that has, you know, all your Tarantino tropes and gibberish and fucking, you know, uh, uh, eloquent speech and fucking, you know, these, the, there's always conflict between two people and there's always great scenes between two people. When you marry that 
with the absolute genius of fucking an action movie uh, master uh, with Tony Scott. It's always going to be fucking great. Beautiful. I love the film. I love it. I love it. That, it's the love of a, an unlucky in love geek who meets a, a hot woman who turns out to be a prostitute who falls in love with you, mm-hmm. who loves you because you love shit kung fu movies and pie. Yeah, and because that's she wants want because that. she just she just wants the simple fucking life, and Clarence yeah. is just the simple man. And then obviously, yep, everybody must have seen the end of it. The end, the end with the kid on the beach with Alabama and Clarence. It's yeah, just well, Tarant- it, it, it just gets everything together. Well, uh, Tarantino had a much darker ending where Clarence yeah. didn't make it. He got yeah. shot in the face and and he died. Um, no, no, it wouldn't have worked. Uh, it wouldn't have worked. has got it. Yeah. It, that that was a, a Hollywood ending, and I think if Tarantino had been out, I think it would have been a bit weaker for it. But um, so number one, there can only be there can only be one. There can only be one, and to say because because we've already spoke about Reservoir Dogs, I think we know where we're going. This it's uh, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Pulp Fiction number one. Um, you would want to say, has he ever done better? Well, no, it he hasn't. Cha- he hasn't. But, and, and, but, but that's but that's the thing. That's the thing. There's another question. Will anyone ever do any better than Pulp Fiction? No. And this is the film where I go back to the beginning of this essay. where Forrest Gump. Fuck. Stop it. Forrest Gump. I go back to the beginning where I say he changed cinema. Now, before this point, name me another film that tried to mess with linear storytelling like he has and to do it so coherently. You just knew you had nothing fed to you. You don't have dates coming up on the screen three days earlier, yeah. two days later. He appreciates that if you're going to sit down, imagine him saying, if you're going to watch my fucking movie, you're just going to enjoy the movie and fucking watch it and you're going to understand it and you're going to love it. And he took... not, But not in a way that James Cameron wants you to watch. <laughs> no, he wants you strapped to a chair with 3D glasses on paying 20 quid and fucking enjoy it. But... Tarantino with Pulp Fiction has made something um, forever. Yeah. And if you look back at the people in that film, Bruce Willis was hot right then. That was just after Die Hard 2. He he was up there. He was, I mean, he was just coming off Hudson Hawk for crying out loud. (laughs) You can't get any hotter than that. Uma Thurman, obviously. But then he's filled it with, if you look back now, they are massive stars and had they, could they be big stars now because of this film? I wouldn't say so. Samuel L. Jackson was around. It was, you know, he was just emerging. The one person I think who benefited most from Pulp Fiction in terms of the cast was John Travolta. Oh, 100%. He was stuck talking to babies at this point. But yeah, he was, a, he was a big star. You know, he was still a big star, you know, but everyone just remembered him as fucking, you know, Tony. It a, and It was a big name, but what hit did he have after Greece? Talking. Right. So in that <laughs> 10 years, in that 12 years between what? them. What? But I did know, but I agree with you because, you know, after, after fucking um, Pulp Fiction, you know, you had things like Broken Arrow and, you know, th- there were, they, they moved John Travolta into another sphere of, of acting. Um, but, you know, I think 
Pulp Fiction did that for a lot of people. You know, you look at Pulp Fiction, what it did for Uma Thurman, what it did for Samuel L. Jackson, what it did for Harvey Keitel, yes. what it did yeah. for Tim, Tim Roth. Roth, what yeah. it did for fucking Christopher Walken, what it did for Ving Rames, what it did for Eric Stoltz, what it did for Steve Buscemi. You know, there are there. It's multiple people. I I think it's one of the greatest pieces of cinema. And and it's kind of bad. I won't put it in my top five favorite films of all time, but. But do you know how important. You, yeah. You know how yeah. important that it is. It's I never, I never rate. Yeah. I never rate films as, you know, what's the best film that's ever made. I don't rate films like that. I always rate films as what, what do I, what have I watched? What have I watched more than anything else? Because everybody has comfort movies. Everybody has these comfort movies that they watch because they know them so well that they know them beat for beat that they're not going to get, you know, uh, they can understand them. You could you could fucking sit and play championship manager, football manager. You could play fucking the computer with, whilst Pulp Fiction's on. Pulp Fiction is one of those movies for me. If, whenever it's on TV, I will I will just watch it. Doesn't Now, it doesn't mean that I'll watch the whole thing, but I'll just keep it in the background because I know it beat for beat. He, um, Tarantino did an interview with, I forget who it is, um, did an interview with somebody, I've lost it now, but I, I remember reading the story that it was the story of Travolta being um, cast or auditioned for Pulp Fiction. And like I say, he, he produced a, a bunch of names to the, the company to, did he say it was TriStar at the time? And on there was, um, I think, William Peterson, John Travolta, Michael Madsen, and someone else. Michael Madsen were tied up with something other, other filming. Um, and the guy said, oh, no, you've got to get rid of John Travolta. He's not popular. And suddenly that in, in Tarantino, that kind of like, I want this guy. Yeah, what I, the fuck I are you talking him. about? I want him yeah. <laughs> and he sat him down and, and he imagined him for the role of Vincent Vega. And he said, I've got two films for you, From Dust Till Dawn or Pulp Fiction, because now Tarantino's got a bit of juice. He's going to start trying to get From Dust Till Dawn made. And uh, Travolta actually said, look, I'm not really a vampire guy, um, but I like the story of this guy. And then he said later that night, Tarantino just brought out a bunch of board games. So the Grease board game, the Saturday Night Fever board game. And he just played board games with John Travolta all night, getting him to do lines from the films and, and whatnot. And it sounds more like a, a nerd who's got the chance just to spend a night with John Travolta. <laughs> you see, I don't, I don't think that it is. I think that is a very, a very planned night. I think that John, I think that fucking Quentin Tarantino wanted, wanted to see where John Travolta was at and if he would understand uh, what Quentin Tarantino wanted of him. I think that's a very, very fucking, you know, subtle plot that he's done with him. I don't think he's done it because he's a fucking mega fan of John Travolta. I just wanted to see that he wanted to fuck with him. Well, and just see where he goes from it and see where, where do you go? Where do you go with it? Are you going to ask me why I'm doing it? Or are you just going to fucking, are you going to go with it? Are you that, are you desperate to be in this movie? Do you want to be in this movie? Do you want to be in a film that I want to do? Fucking just agree with this. But Pulp Fiction is, how do you explain it? Is it a gangster film? Is it a crime film? It's everything. It's everything. If 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 somebody hasn't if somebody hasn't seen Pulp Fiction, right? But I I'll give you an example as to how, uh, like Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs again, very much part of my childhood. Um, I remember, and I think I've told this story multiple times before. Uh, I remember me and Ronan, my brother, uh, recording the trailer. Uh, for Pulp Fiction Sky movies, used to do the top ten, you know, after every movie, and 
we used to record the trailers all the time and rewatch the trailers and rewatch the trailers and rewatch the trailers. There's no, no, no such thing as the fucking internet. You know, we just needed to see movies. We wanted to see movies. So we watched the trailer for Pulp Fiction. Jesus Christ. I, I, Paul, I'll be happily say 500 times we watched the trailer to Pulp Fiction. Like we, everything about it, we just enjoyed the visuals, the scripts, the, the, the fucking gunplay and, you know, everything about it. I remember my brother going and buying the script to Pulp Fiction a few days before it came out. And it was one of the first books that we ever fucking read. And the two of us used to sit in the edge of the bed and we used to get back and forth to each other and read lines and pretend we were different, doing different lines. And the greatest thing that ever happened was my mother on my, I believe it was my 12th birthday, took me and Ronan to see Pulp Fiction. You said. I was 12 years old and she took us to see Pulp Fiction. And I always remember turning around because my old math teacher, Pat McKenna, was sitting directly behind me. And when Ving Rames was getting raped, I turned around and looked at him and he gave me the thumbs up. <laughs> Ah, it was a great movie, <laughs> but it was like it was it was it was a moment in time. Pulp Fiction for me was a moment in time, and I'll always always just give uh, Pulp Fiction uh, just it's just it just has a place in my heart. It's quotable, it's memorable. I think nobody can name their best moment from it. Um, absolutely, number one Quentin Tarantino film. No, it was difficult. It was difficult. Truly difficult. Mentions. I mean, I could do honourable mentions for everything, but look, we if we'd have done a if we'd have done a menu, I think Death Proof or Jackie Brown might have gone in the fish. Yeah, it's very difficult to put anything in there though. And I fucking um, love Kurt Russell as well. Everyone knows how much I love Kurt Russell. Honourable mention to Four Rooms as well, the Tim Roth film. Yeah, uh, where there's four stories. He he goes to four different hotel rooms on New Year's Eve one night. Does the bellboy Tim Roth? Uh, one of those, each room is directed by a different director. Rodriguez does one, Tarantino does one, and I forget the others, which is really bad. Um, but Tar- Tarantino directed the last one and probably not as good as the Rodriguez one with Antonio Banderas, but that is a great film. Yeah. If you haven't watched seen Four Rooms, go and have watched that. If you enjoyed Tarantino, if you enjoyed Rodriguez, go and watch Four Rooms. Um, so there's our top five. Tarantino, done. Done. Um if you're listening to us on Spotify and you haven't given us a five-star review, go and do that. Yeah. You'll feel and really if you're the person that give us four out of five, go fuck yourself. Yeah, seriously, go fuck yourself, guys. Honest to God, who gives four? You know, it's probably my fucking dad or someone, you know what I mean? He probably listen to this and go, is this all he's done with his life? Four stars. <laughs> um, follow us on Twitter, uh, Facebook, at PodMovieChef. In fact, don't follow us on Facebook. Nothing gets on there. And Instagram, nothing goes on there either. Uh, so Twitter, at PodMovieChef. Um, give us a review on Apple Podcasts, please. And if you're listening on Good Pods, uh, if you're not, give Good Pods a, a look because they're really good uh great place to find other indie podcasters like ourselves that just want to be heard and loved yeah interact interact on twitter i always tell people just interact on twitter i don't care um what was his highest grossing film then you said you got them the well well i'm gonna let you guess so i'm gonna give you five movies okay mm-hmm. you're gonna tell me what his top three are so we're going to have Kill Bill Volume 2, 
We're going to have Jackie Brown. We're going to have Hateful Eight. We're going to get six, actually. We're going to have Inglorious Bastards, Once Upon a Time in the West, and Django. So what's number one? Um, I want to say Django. You're right. Django's number one. 400 million? 425 million, 368,238. Number two. Number two, Hollywood. Yeah, you're right. Once upon a time in Hollywood. 371,980,270. I think Jackie Brown wouldn't have done that sort of number. So I'm going to go either Inglorious Bastards or Hateful Eight. And I want to say Inglorious Bastards. Oh, he's got the fucking clean <laughs> sweep. 321,455,689 dollars. Well, I like that you don't know, Chris, because what we're going to be doing, uh, I think I might have told you this, but we're going to start some weekly episodes where it's just we're going to be doing a quiz. Um, I'm going to be doing quizzes every week. The first one, I want you to join me. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna we're gonna do it, but then after that, it's gonna be little ten minute episodes where I'm each week we're gonna have based on the episode we've done. There's gonna be ten questions asked. Uh, there's gonna be nobody sort of taking part. So if you're having a listen in the office in your car, whatever, stick me on for ten minutes. I'll be uh, doing a bit of a quiz. You can do it with yourselves. You can play by yourself. You can play with anybody else you want to play, play with. with yourself. If you want to play by yourself and play with yourself while you listen to me, that's great. Uh, but the first time, it's going to be 10 questions, uh, 10 quiz questions on Tarantino movies. Uh, you're going to be here to, to play along with the first one. And then after that, because uh, I know you like your, your quiet time, don't you? Quiet time? <laughs> Anything else from you? Nothing. Five star on uh, Spotify. We've got such a choice, haven't we, of music to play? There's so many songs i i think it should be uh something from kill bill yeah absolutely i mean obviously we've had an episode on san diego comic con and we've had an episode on tarantino the man who's brought music to the cinema thanks everybody bye-bye Been spreading the word and now I need to ease my mind. Jacking it home. Been planting them apple seeds and while the apples grow, I'm gonna go out jacking it in San Diego. Jacking it, jacking it, jacking it, jack. Spanking it, jacking it, spanking it, smack. I don't need no shirt, no. Gonna take them pants right off. He's about to jacket. On such a bright day, who needs underwear or socks? Jacking, jacking, home. Been around God's country and there's one thing I know. No better place for jacking it than San Diego. Jack it, jack it, jack it, jack. Spanking it, spanking it, smacking it, smack. Jacking it, jacking it, jacking it, jack. Jacking it, spanking it, spanking it, smack. Come to San Diego, there's so much to see. From the sparkling waters of Mission Bay to the warm tortillas of Old Town. And after a day of sightseeing, why not try spanking it in one of our charming city streets? San Diego, come, take a load off. Jacking it, jacking it, jacking it, jacking it.